Welcome to So What Else. My name is Caitlin Elliott and I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories, the big important things they've been through, and also the random stuff. We're going to talk about it all here. This podcast is just me talking with fascinating people so that we can all hear what they have to share with the world. So what else? Okay, welcome to this episode of So What Else. Today I have with me Lindsay Lagan, and you are the first person that I have ever had on So What Else that I've never actually met in the flesh. We talked like on Marco Polo, and now I'm looking at you on Zoom. I've known of you for a long time because my youngest sister Caroline babysits for you, but I've never actually met you. So this is like our first meeting, and we're still not in the flesh. We're on Zoom. I know. And it's, <laughs> it's nice to kind of meet you. Exactly. I know I feel the same way. Like I kind of know you a little bit uh, and your girls through your sister. Yes. I mean, my sister for years has always like talked about you and been like, oh, you you guys would be like best friends. She's always like, you remind me so much of each other. Like, I feel like you guys would get along so well, but it's just like our paths have never really crossed. But why don't you just kind of introduce yourself to everybody? Okay. Well, I'm Lindsay. I am... Um, a wife I've been married will be 14 years this summer. I have three boys, um, twins are, who are six and then a two-year-old. Um, and it's one wild house. I'm a former teacher. I'm a stay-at-home mom now, just tutor part-time. And uh, I feel like all I do is pick up messes that make themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what did you teach when you were a teacher? So I taught middle school English. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I taught fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, but most of the the bulk of my time I taught for eight years was seventh and eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. So I taught fifth grade English for three years. Then I did third grade. Then I did sixth grade English. Okay. And now I do third through eighth basic skills, but it's all okay. reading. That's so awesome. very similar. So yeah, I did nice. basic skills. I did basic skills for fifth and sixth grade. Like I, I only ever had the cycle classes for them. I didn't okay, have Okay, yeah the core English classes, except for seventh and eighth grade. But yeah, that's nice. So you do like a lot of tutoring. I do. I have done more in the past this year. I haven't done quite as much. Just it's been a crazy year for yeah, pandemic. And just, you know, I think everyone's sick of virtual learning. So virtual tutoring, you know, I I still do some, but also just lots of stuff going on with our family and health stuff. I just haven't had the flexibility I have had in the past. So it's, it's good. But yeah, Well, that's nice that you've been able to do that, you know, and it's nice that you can kind of choose like, all right, this year, I'm not going to do as much of it or not, you know. For sure. It's a huge, a huge gift. Oh, well, that's awesome. So I know that you grew up as a missionary kid. Yes. Which is like, I have so many questions. Like, it's fascinating to me. So like, tell us all of the things. Like, where were you born? Okay. So I wasn't born (laughs) very far from here. I was born in Summit in New Jersey. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but uh, my mom grew up in New Jersey. My dad was born and raised in Zimbabwe. His okay. parents were missionaries, like literally out in the middle of nowhere, like cut down trees, made their own bricks, bricks out of wow. mud, had elephants and lions in their kitchen, like crazy. I mean, like really hardcore. So my dad grew up over there, came back here to college, met my mom, who was from New Jersey. So they were here. My dad was an associate pastor for a couple of years. Okay. Um, and so I was born here and then moved there right before my third birthday. So I really don't remember living here or being born. Thank goodness. Yeah. Attic. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I moved there when I was three. So we would be there for four or five years at a time and then come back here for one year and then go back over there. Um, 
So wow. yeah. So are you the oldest? Cause you have a bunch of sisters. Yes. I'm the oldest of four girls. So okay. my youngest sister is uh, 17 years younger than me. So I was, Oh, 17. wow. Yeah. And I left to go to college when she was, you know, not even two. Um, and you know, across the ocean, it was, it was rough. <laughs> wow. All right. So did your mom like birth any of your sisters overseas or did, yeah. was it always like when you guys would come back? All of them were born there except for me. <laughs> so wow. yeah. Um, so my dad was born there. All three of my sisters were born there and my mom and I were born in New Jersey. So, so are all your sisters, like, do they have like dual citizenship or whatever? They, well, it, things have changed. They don't really have that available. You have to pick your citizenship, but they have something called permanent residency where if you are born there and you choose to maintain your, you know, U.S. citizenship, you can have, it's basically like getting a green card, like a permanent to work and live there as long as you come back, you know, are never gone for more than a year kind of thing. So um, I gave mine up when I moved here and then just didn't go back, even though I wasn't born there, you know, my, my dad. Yeah. Yeah. So my sisters all had that as well. And um, I think my youngest sister is the only one who's still eligible to keep hers because she's a senior in college this year, but the rest of us have given that up just because we've lived here now for. Yeah. So that's, so what was it like growing up there? Like, were there, like, where did, what did you live in and what was the school like? <laughs> I could tell you, I could make up some great stories and you would never know. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. You could literally tell me anything right now. <laughs> I mean, I do have some pretty cool different things in here. So when I was first, when I first went to school, I was in like a rural not a village like with huts, but like a village setting more of like the British village, you know, like oh, in okay, yeah, arms. And it was a small school. And, you know, I was definitely the minority in the school. Mm-hmm. And um, English was not most kids first language. I actually spoke another language when I was little, um, just because everybody else did, even though English is one of the official languages there. Um So I went to school. I mean, I still remember literally these are strange little memories in my head. Like um, I remember kids picking termites off the tree and eating them. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, oh, my gosh, I never did. But I remember distinctly that happening on the playground. Um, I I remember um, I'm trying to think I had my fourth grade teacher smoked smoked cigarettes in class. And I was never ever forget um six times seven is 42 because that one day in class when I didn't know it I got smacked on the knuckles with a wooden ruler no way um I've never forgotten that yeah there's things like that then when I was in fifth grade we moved into the capital city Mm -hmm. and I went to um a much larger private Christian school and um I had that was everything I kind of lost a lot of my language skills at that point because everybody and everyone spoke English everything okay. was in English everything um but it's sort of like you think of I guess sort of like Harry Potter world like we have prefects and you have houses and you have like everything whatever house you're in you have sports competitions and you have academic competitions wow. and everybody you know it's yes ma'am yes sir we had uniforms you stand up when a teacher comes in the room and say good morning ma'am or good morning sir they still had corporal punishment, but I was like the total goody goody. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, that I'm not, I'm not dealing first, with that. <laughs> <I know>. um, 
I got but, smacked when I didn't know six yeah, times seven. I know. So I just, yeah, it, it's definitely a wild world, like completely different, you know, like yeah. we would have assemblies and everyone would line up silently and sit with their class. And like, when I came back here, I came back to New Jersey for second grade and then ninth grade. And I remember specifically in ninth grade, I was like, what is happening? Everyone's yeah. talking so casually to the teacher. Like I didn't know yeah. what, <laughs> so what you I was guys walking would, into. That's so you guys would be there and then you would come back for a full year. So then you would like enroll in school the whole nine yeah. yards. Mm-hmm. Was that hard or like would you look forward to those years or were you like, this is awful? Like we don't know any of these people. Um, well, the good thing was every time we came back, we stayed in the same, our church had like a missionary residence. It was like, a, nice. it was like a furnished home. So we always came back to the same home. And so I was always enrolled in the same town for school, okay. went to the same church. We have family, all my cousins. So it felt like a second home. So that mm-hmm. was good, but it was still really hard. I looked forward to it for the aspect of my friends and my family, but um, and just things like, you know, getting Hershey's candy bars, like you couldn't get, and we couldn't get bagels there, like, unless you make them yourself and stuff like that. But it was really hard going to school. Like I was super shy, super like nervous and scared and not very confident at all. So that was the hardest part for me was coming back and going to school. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I can't even imagine like how it'd be like, okay, so now we're going back and we're going to do a year there. And then once you start to feel settled and stuff, then you're going back again. Mm -hmm. And then it might be four or five years before you come back again. And it's hard because it was before, really before a lot of like the internet being in everybody's pocket on their phone. Like, so it wasn't like, like, I didn't know what was cool, like what I had missed or what I was listening to in Zimbabwe was like, you know, five to 10 years behind the times here in New Jersey. So I felt like I was always kind of out of the loop. Like I remember one time in gym class in freshman year, um, it was the first week of school and I came out and I remember some kid cracking some joke about my sneakers being like, Mm. like terrible, like totally making fun of me. And I had literally, it had never, ever even crossed my mind that there was anything wrong with my sneakers. And there really wasn't, it was just, they were some off brand and they were old, like they still had life in them. But in Zimbabwe, I would have been like the lucky kid who had like sneakers Mm. from America, you know, it wouldn't have crossed like there people would never have made fun of my shoes. And I came back here and I was like, that was one of the first times I think I realized like I, I felt super insecure about my appearance Mm -hmm. just in terms of like it had, it just had never crossed my mind. And the fact that it happened right towards the beginning of the school year made like the whole year super intimidating. So like there's little things like that, that, you know, I think we all have those moments burned into our memories of somebody saying some stupid comment that they never even knew that I heard maybe, or maybe they did, who knows, but yeah. So when you were here, would you feel like you would miss Zimbabwe or were you just kind of like torn? Um, I wouldn't miss it because I felt like I always was going back. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I got the best of both worlds too. Like I get got to be, um, you know, in the first world country, have access to buy the things and mm-hmm. eat the things and have, you know, air conditioning and all these things. And then, but I also grew up in a country that I loved and felt at home and I had amazing friends and like, I really felt at home there. Um, so I would never like, it. there was definitely hard things about it. Like I was always missing somebody, whether it was missing mm-hmm. my family on this side of the ocean or missing my friends on that side of the ocean. Um, and I think I also always felt a little out of place because when I was there, 
it was like I was the American. Mm -hmm. And when I was here, I was that kid from Africa. And so it was like, I never fully knew exactly where, like my identity, I guess was, I always felt like I was floating a little bit, but at the same time, I would never have traded it because I liked having both. So it's kind of like a weird tension between those two. Totally. Like in some ways it's like, what an insanely cool experience, right? Like who gets to say like, I grew up in Zimbabwe, but I still got to come back to America. And so like I had both and I could speak two languages and blah, 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 but also really hard because you kind of feel like where exactly do I fit? Like I, you know, I'm not sure. So how far apart in age are you from your other sisters? You said your youngest sister is 17 years younger than you. Yeah. So my other sisters were all three years apart. So I'm the oldest and three years uh, I had my second sister, then another three years, my next sister was born. Um, my mom had a miscarriage three years after that and thought, oh, I guess we're just going to have three. And then it was surprise. Wow. <laughs> and I was a senior in high school. I was like, what? Like, that's still my thunder. <laughs> Baby, like, Seriously? I don't need this in my life. <laughs> and then, you know, I could never have, I bawled my eyes out when I had to leave her, you know, like, oh, yeah, her, the way of things. I, I bet you have a really special relationship with her because it's like probably just feels like not like she's your baby, but kind of like you were almost an adult when she was born, you know? Yeah. And it's a weird thing because it's it because I moved out of the house when she was so young and we weren't like it's not like I saw her for Christmas and on yeah. during the summer or it would be like, you know, two years between times when I would see her. And so I feel like it was almost like more like an aunt and a niece who lives Mm -hmm. across the country, like that relationship, because she didn't grow up with me. And that was before, like, that was when I still had to like go to the corner store and buy a phone card and dial like a gazillion numbers to get, you know, to call. There wasn't type and everything yet. So I feel like it is, we have a much closer relationship now that she's Mm -hmm. older and where she actually lives with us during the summers from, you know, she gets a job and, and lives here. So I feel like we're much closer now, but we definitely missed out on some of that, that the uh, formative years. (laughs) Yeah, that's so crazy to think about. So you went to college here in the United States. I did. Yes. So how did that like, did you always know that you would do that? Or did you think that you might stay out there? Yeah, I think I always knew I was going to come back here. Mm -hmm. Um, There's not a whole lot of uh, educational opportunities and options over there so it would have been pretty limited so I always wanted to come back it was weird though like you know people talk about college visits I like (sighs) met a team of nurses who came out to the mission hospital from this college and they were really nice so someone one of the other missionary kids went there and were like you would like it so I applied there that was the only school I applied to and I just got on a plane and wow I just showed up it was it was like looking back, I'm like, how, how could my parents just let me go? I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have oh like, oh my gosh. Now I'm like, I would be like an anxious disaster sending oh my, my kids off like that. But what school did you go yeah, to? Cedarville University. Oh yeah. Out oh Southwest Ohio. Yeah. So you literally just one day, like you never saw the school or anything. Like you literally just one day you were after you graduated high school, you're like, love you. Got on a plane and moved yourself into college. Well, a, a little caveat I got on a plane and moved myself to New Jersey okay. <laughs> into the house that our church had for by the yourself summer, by myself oh so my that gosh. I could work for the summer and make some money and I literally didn't have a cell phone I didn't have a car 
Um, and I would walk to work at a restaurant where I was a server, work nights. And I was like super paranoid. I'm like, I'm walking home late every night by myself. Someone could be following me. I I'm dying. This I is literally slept with a golf club. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I like a hundred percent. I like, put my phone next to me. I didn't have a cell phone, but I had like the house had a landline, yeah. you know, and I slept with it in my bed. And I like, I literally, that was very scary. I, I. And then my parents actually did come back. My dad had to come back for a conference. So my parents came back and drove me from New Jersey to school and were there for my getting started weekend. Um, but yeah, it was after the summer of living by myself. And um, yeah, so that was pretty, when I look back, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't know I was so brave. I was just going to say, not feel like, brave. if I had done that, like, I thought I was like really awesome for like moving to Colorado after I graduated college, but like, hello, like that's not actually that special because it's like you graduated college, you are a full grown adult with a degree. Like you were 17 years old moving to another country, like by yourself, like that's amazing. It was, it was, I, well, I'll give myself a little, I was 19. So I did do okay. a little, like I, the way the school system works there, uh, you finish school in December. So I had like, I actually started college a year later than kids my age. So, um, but still, I felt like still, I was like that's nuts. 12. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's really, really awesome that you did that, that you were able to like push yourself and do that. And so then what would you do on like holiday breaks and stuff like that? Uh, different things. Like I would, I had, like, I came to a friend in New Jersey's house for Thanksgiving one year. I would go to um, my grandparents' house for Christmas one year. I did go back to Zimbabwe a couple of Christmases. And then my parents came back for their year. Oh, like, nice. One of my years in college. So like there was some different, I always had friends or family to go to, but it was, yeah, it was not not easy. <laughs> so growing up as a missionary kid, was there some kind of like expectation that then you would become a missionary? Um, yes and no. I think it was more of me putting it on myself than okay. anything. My grandparents were missionaries and then my parents were missionaries and we were on a field like in Zimbabwe, there were a couple of families where the grandparents had been missionaries and then their kids had all come back. Like they grew up together and then all came mm -hmm. back. And then I was growing up with like the next generation of kids. And so I think especially when I was younger, I just assumed that's what I would do. I found like some old journal recently. It was like, I wanted to be a missionary singer. <laughs> Amy Brandt was like my idol, you know, like I sent yes. her postcards from Zimbabwe. <laughs> oh, but I, cute. yeah. So I think I, I felt that, but I never really felt pressured by it. And as I got older, I realized that really wasn't what I was, you know, supposed to be doing with my life. But I also was never scared if that, became my life it was not something I was scared of doing but it just never really became my path did you ever feel worried like that your parents would be like disappointed or something like if you didn't choose that no I don't think I I mean I never really felt that I remember one time telling my dad I want to be a missionary daddy and he was like you just be whatever God wants you to be that's all that matters oh. and it was just like it was a formative it was like like I'm talking about like there's certain phrases that just stick yep. with you and I, I don't know, I must have been like maybe 13 at that time. So I don't think there was ever really, honestly, I think they expected me to come back here and okay, yeah. stay not necessarily in New Jersey, but somewhere in the United States. Right. So are your parents still there? Yeah. Well, currently they're right here for a couple of weeks, <laughs> but they're, <laughs> yes, they still live, are living in Zimbabwe. 
So, wow. yeah, so when they're my, still doing their regular, like they're there for like four or five years and they come for a year. They have, since my youngest sister graduated high school, they now do two years and then six months back. So because okay. they used to want to do the full year for our sake for school, like they that didn't want to pull us half a year and half a year. And so, um, but now that they don't have to worry about kids in school, it's, you know, I think, I mean, they'll retire before they're in their sixties. So okay, yeah. not going to be too many more years before they come back here. Yeah. Right, I'm sure you're excited for that. Oh, yes. Especially Do you think they'll move to New Jersey near you? Um, they actually um, my have my grandparents' old house in Pennsylvania, so okay, it's not far. Not far. It's, yeah. it's like an hour and fifteen from here, so I think that's where they'll eventually be. But that'll be nice. Knows, you never know. Yeah. So, how did you meet your husband? Did you guys meet in college? Yes. So I grew up in Southern Africa. He grew up in Connecticut, and then we met in Ohio. And <laughs> amazing. He's almost three years younger than me, but because I uh, waited a year to go to college, right. I we weren't that far apart in, and I had to take an extra semester at the end um, for my major. So I we ended up just being graduating a year apart from each other. But we met. He was like a he was a video production major, and so he had to film like the chapels. And I remember just seeing him I used to call him the video guy just he always had that like steel box that you see people with cameras and one year I was a an RA um, in the dorms and so was he and we had to be there like a couple days early for like training and he had a pink popped collar like he <laughs> remember uh... those days um, we had a mutual friend who was also in RA training and one night during that week was just like hey guys let's go see a movie we're gonna get together and we kind of met and um yeah, so we just kind of clicked. Nice. And, yeah. So did he ever, like, when you're like, hey, like, I grew up in Zimbabwe, was he ever like, oh, like, are you planning on moving back there? Because that's not for me. No, actually, but he's the oldest of 10. Oh, my so gosh. Gigantic family. Like, I thought I had a big family. And um, so I do remember, like, before I went out with him, I was like, just just so you know. like right you want a family that big I am not going to be your person so like I don't want to even do this <laughs> like that was an awkward conversation I'm like I just got to get this out there and he was like I didn't even ever want to date anyone I wanted to live a bachelor life like in my own house I'm so used to sharing bedrooms and yeah I bet. and I'm like oh, I ruined your plans that's but, um, so funny yeah the, it was it was funny it was like a semester of him being me being like is he ever gonna ask me out like right. there was another guy who I was sort of interested in two guys at once and the other guy kept asking me out and I had been really honest with him. Like I'm interested in two people and I don't know what I want. And it was the yeah. most awkward, like horrifying thing, but I couldn't not be honest with him. And meanwhile, David, my husband was like, you like twiddling your thumbs. What are you doing? You're like, hello. And so the other night men are pursuing me. Yeah, cool. the, the night I talked to this other guy and said, you know what? I don't, I don't think we're ever going to work out literally the half hour later David calls me on my little campus phone you know and was like come outside so I walk outside and he had written be mine in the snow <gasps> like super romantic but I had literally just told this other guy like I can't date you like this is not gonna work and we lived on a very small campus where everyone You're like he's gonna everyone. see this and I was like this is like <laughs> I can't I don't know what to do I don't want to be rude to this other guy who was like a nice guy like he really yes. was but I but I, I was so torn. And then I was like, okay, 
And I went to the gym and he went back and played video games with his friends. And they were like, so? So it was, you know. That is precious. Oh my gosh, I love it. That's crazy that he is one of 10 children. And yep. that's funny that you said that at the beginning because when Scott and I were dating, I remember he was like, I mean, ideally, I would love to have nine kids, you know, so you can field your own baseball team. And I was like, yeah, you're joking, <laughs> right? And he was like, I mean, maybe I'm joking. I'm not sure. And I was like, well, if we get married, you'll be joking. <laughs> I was like, just, just so you know, nine is not happening. Yes. Like, that is absolutely not happening. I know. Talk about yeah. super mom. Yeah. Right? Yikes. Uh. Oh, my gosh. So isn't my favorite thing ever that Caroline told me, isn't your sister married to your husband's brother? Yes. So How did this happen? We're both the oldest. David and I are the oldest in our family. We um, got married. The year after David started at Cedarville, his, um, his brother and my sister were freshmen. So we still have different story than them. Like they think they met apart from us. We both think that they met because of us. That's funny. But we literally went on like the first double date before it was really a date. Mm -hmm. And then like they started dating, I think like about two weeks after we started dating because we met the same year. Oh, wow. We got married the summer before them. So she's the second sister and he's the second brother. So That's so cute. I used I was like, you just always wanted to be like me. Now you even want the same last name again. <laughs> I love that. That's really cute. That's like my dream. Like I'm obsessed with people marrying into my family. That like would literally be my dream. Well, you know, what's funny. Like, so talk about two weddings that are very similar, like the same families, the, right. a lot of the same friends, the same church. Like it was two years, like the pastor's like, this is deja vu. But we had um, my, my littlest sister at the time, my, David has brothers the same age as all of my sisters. Oh, so you're like, Hey, we could lock so, this down. Yeah. And so, you know, the third one didn't work out. Then Rochelle, the youngest, she was only, I don't know how old she was when we got married. She was eight, maybe seven, eight. She said to me, she's like, so do I have to marry Ezra, my brother-in-law, who was her age? And we were like, You're no, like, yeah, but you if do. you do, we can all be on Oprah. <laughs> like, <laughs> be famous if you do. But she literally thought like, oh, I guess we just are marrying each other from this family. This is what we do. I guess this is what marriage is. We just yeah. pick families and then we just get together, which, hey, yeah, not a bad idea. That I is mean, seriously amazing. So your children and your sister's children are cousins on both cousins. sides of their family. Yep. Is there a term for that? I call them double cousins. Yeah. I don't know if that's like a legit term or if that's just my made up term. But yeah, I call them double cousins. And they definitely look like if you put all the kids together and David I and I took them somewhere like I could totally convince like they look enough alike that oh I'm sure they could be siblings now are they similar ages uh yeah the my oldest niece is a couple years older and then I have a niece who's three months younger than my twins and then then the others are stair-stepped but that's so cute yeah oh my gosh that's so crazy now they were living close by. Didn't they just move like to Texas? Yep. They just moved to Texas from Connecticut. Uh, so they, they went from being two and a half hours away to like a two and a half day drive if we uh, were to drive. Um, it's, I mean, they're sending pictures of them swimming. Ugh. So, I mean, it's beautiful right now. Yes, that is <laughs> I don't nice. know anybody. I mean, I have some family down there, um, which is really nice. They're about 45 minutes away from where my sister and brother-in-law moved. They moved for his job, but we're you know, devastated. The cousins move far away. They're yeah, far away. that's hard. It's hard when family is so spread out, you know? It's yeah. just like nice 
to be able to be close. Well, luckily in this time, you know, now the internet is on our side. It's true. Yeah. And then hopefully traveling will be easier soon. Yeah. My kids have never been on an airplane and they are like dying to go on one. So they keep saying, I really think mom, we should fly because it would be so long to drive. And I'm like, I agree. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I seriously. Agree. <laughs> if you're going to do that drive, it's like you need an RV or something like yep. that. Mm -hmm. Scott and I drove from Colorado to New Jersey when we moved out here, but that was when it was just us, you know? So yeah. that's like 24 hours if you didn't stop. So obviously yeah. you're going to stop. So it's going to take yeah. like two-ish days. But we've talked about it like in the midst of the pandemic when it was like really bad, we were like wanting to go out and see his family. And we were like, oh, we're scared to fly. And we were like, I cannot imagine doing a 24-hour drive with the kids in the car. And we were like, what if we got an RV? It's like all these – because it's like – I mean, being trapped in the car with your children for that long is like torture. It is definitely character building if you want to put yes. it nicely. Yeah. yeah it's definitely. <laughs> oh, when they start screaming and you're trapped in that little – because like look, at first when you set out on like a long-ish drive and people fall asleep and take a little nap and then they're like playing on their Kindle or whatever. Yep. But then when they get bored of that. And they is, can't move. Oh, mm -hmm. it is so rough. It is not, not the best thing. Yeah. There's only so long that a screen captures. even Exactly. <laughs> yes. It really is so true. But of course, like at home, if you're trying to get them off TV, Scott and I yeah. were just j laughing about this the other day, how like the times when we don't want them to be watching TV, like we're like, no, we're turning it off. They like throw a fit. But I the know. The other day, my husband was like desperately trying to get something done. And he was like, you need to watch a movie. He was like, I've never in my life seen them so disinterested in a screen. He, it's, he was like, it's like they knew that I ha I needed them to watch TV. I needed to get something done. They would not watch TV. I know. Like, it's Murphy's like, Law. <laughs> exactly. It's like they know. They just know. Yes. Like, oh, mom and dad really want me to be watching this. So I'm just like not going to do it. Yeah. So, hey, what are you going to do about it? So you are a boy mom. So I'm a girl mom, but you are a yes. full boy mom. You have three boys. What is that like? Uh, it is like watching my standards, not just lower, but completely <laughs> almost disappear when it comes to house stuff. I think I've told your sister this more times. I'm like, you know, I thought I knew I'd like realistically, I knew I'd have to lower my standards when I became a parent as far as like keeping the house clean and like keeping things the way I like it and, you know, finding things where I left them, but I have had to like, and that's honestly been really hard for me. I'm in a much better place with it now, but like I get really, when I'm anxious and overwhelmed, mm -hmm. having like mess everywhere does not help. Like I need to have a space I can go where I'm not because my mind works over time like I'll sit down and be like oh I have to do if I can see things that I have to do I can't get them out of my head so I've had to work like it has been major mental gym time for me to like have to just not care yeah. about things that I do care about mm -hmm. um so that's one of the things and that's been like like it sounds so stupid and petty but it's been like a legit like hard thing for me. It really um, doesn't sound stupid to me because I'm – that is for sure a way that – because like I like am a one on the Enneagram. I don't know if you like are into it, but like – I'm trying to figure out what I am. I'm okay. not a one, but I have one tendencies in something. So, so okay. yeah. So I'm yeah. very like – I like things to just be a certain way. You know what I mean? Like I'm just like a perfectionist, like just like 
this is how we put this away. This is how we do this. Like, no, you eat dinner before you eat dessert. You do this. And that. like, I'm just like, like think. So if I, like, I cannot sit down and relax when there's toys everywhere, when there's dishes everywhere. But yeah, like as a mom, that's been a, a genuine true struggle for me is that like, I have trouble even like engaging with my children if they're still a mess. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they're like, mom, like do Play-Doh with us. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta unload the dishwasher first. I have to. And like, the, it's been like, like you said, I like how you said mental gym time. Like it's yeah. a genuine struggle to be like, okay, I'm going to leave that mm-hmm. and I'm going to try and do this and like engage with my children, even though the dishes are a disaster and it's giving me an eye twitch. Like I just need to like, but it's hard because it helps it me to feel in control. Like I, if I'm stressed out and feeling frazzled, I feel a little bit more in control if my house at least looks neat. You know what I mean? If there's not piles everywhere or whatever. But then that can become like this all-consuming thing where everything always has to be put away. And then you're like mad at your kids for playing with their toys, which makes no sense. Yeah. I totally – I think the first year of our marriage, we fought so much. I was like, no one told us this. Maybe we made a mistake, which we totally didn't. We were just not realistic about our expectations. You know, I read somewhere um, expectations – how did they say it? Expectations are just premeditated disappointments. Yes. And it's like, so I just expected David would clean things the way that I clean things, or Mm -hmm. I expected he would, you know, and, and he expected that I wouldn't care so much. And so we had more arguments, I think in those first like couple months about things being that way than I've had with my kids, but I've had more stress with my kids because I, at least I kind of expected it with my kids, but it's like on, it's magnified and then throw in a dog that sheds like crazy. Like, and I think sometimes I swing on the pendulum from caring too much and having a hard time engaging to like, fine, I'm just going to leave it. Cause what's the point? And I just leave it. And then it's like, I'm just not going to go in my kitchen, but I have to go in my kitchen. But then if anyone comes to the front door, I'm going to be super embarrassed because my totally. house is a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I find myself cleaning like a maniac before, like, even before your sister would come over, I'd be mm-hmm. like, I have to vacuum. But but you know, it's but real you're life. like, what's the point of having someone come over and help me with my kids if it's exactly. gonna stress me out? I know. I'm and the it's same not way. even like it looks better anyways. It's just in my head, I feel like I so know. that's been it's 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 first world problems, but I think it's legit, like where you live and the problems are problems, right? Mm-hmm. So um, but it's also been a, a real joy in a lot of ways, but exhausting. I'm I'm more exhausted than I've ever been in my life. Um my two-year-old, I call him my blender with no lid. You know, there's, <laughs> I there's love that, that. At stage, that is hard and they're into everything. But then there's also the personality that is yeah. like really fearless and like gives me mm-hmm. a heart attack 15 times a day when he's up in the tree or down the street in his pajamas. Mm-hmm. And I literally uh, went downstairs to switch the laundry and my six-year-old's yes. like, Everything's outside. <laughs> oh my god! I would die. So I definitely. Someone was like, "You're not gonna have to worry about him. He's gonna take care of himself." I'm like, "I know," but in the meantime, I have to get him to that stage. Yeah, exactly. So. If he survives, <laughs> it, oh my gosh! So, so with your twins, mm-hmm. so they're six years old, twins. Yeah. So did you carry them? I'm so interested in like multiples. Did you carry yeah. them fully to term? Were they no. NICU? So I when I was 
really, really sick, like really, really sick when I was pregnant, like dry heaving in the doctor's office. She was worried that I couldn't drive myself home. Like it was, Aww. it was terrible. I almost quit my job. I actually found out I was pregnant like the week after I got out of school for the summer. And I literally laid on my couch or my bathroom floor for the entire summer. Aww. And like the day before I had to go back to school, I was like, I, I can't do this. I, I literally don't know how I can physically do it. Um, but I did it. <laughs> how were you throwing up at school? Well, I didn't throw up a whole lot, but I felt so sick. Like I felt oh. at any moment I was going through, it was almost worse. Like, yes, it's like that like car sick feeling. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was on all the medicine. I, you know, I ate like watermelon mm. and water. David would leave for work and he worked 12 hour shifts. He would work. He would leave me like six cups of ice water oh. right next to me. And I was like, so sick. I couldn't even watch TV. You know what I mean? Like when Ugh. you're, oh, so it was. I mean, when I say I got depressed when I was pregnant, I think I genuinely did like fall into oh, yeah. a bit of a like because I felt guilty that I didn't want this pregnancy. I wanted the pregnancy, but I felt guilty that I hated how I felt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had friends who've struggled with infertility. So then I felt guilty that I was overwhelmed by the thought of twins. And I'm like, my mom lives mm -hmm. out of the country. My in-laws are out of state. We're in a tiny apartment with a dog. And now I'm going to have twins and a husband who works overnights. And so oh, I was, that you know, would send me like over the yeah, top. I was I was um, very overwhelmed. So that's, so when you found out you were having twins, were you like, <gasps> Oh, I like cried. excited. Okay. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I would, I would pass out for yeah. sure. Especially um, because it's like, you're a first time mom. So you're like, mm -hmm. I don't even know how to like take care of a baby at all. And then I'm yep. going to have two. And I always said, I'm like, I'm too selfish to have kids. Like I was oh. really worried that I was too selfish to be <laughs> a good mom. And like, I was like, I'm going to have like, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. So I was very overwhelmed. It was definitely a, okay, God, I get your message that, that I need you. <laughs> like I can't do it. And I knew that before I even ever had them. Like, um, it was also hard. Like I found out I was pregnant the day that my sister miscarried and we would have had kids oh, around the same age. So that's um, so hard. Like, that emotion too of being happy and sad at the same time and then twins and feeling guilty and also yes whelmed and like it was it was all the feelings was um, there any tension or awkwardness there that it's like she's dealing with a miscarriage and you're like not only am i pregnant i'm having two babies <laughs> yeah it it was it wasn't it was only awkward until i told her yeah so um which was pretty much right away <laughs> mm -hmm. but so it was it was fine i I did feel bad. Like I felt, um, and she knew that, and you know, I, we have the kind of relationship we could talk about it, but, and she was so happy. Like I'd been wanting kids for a long time and we just had never gotten to a point where we could try like mm -hmm. just with job and just different things. And we finally did. So she, she was really happy for me, but it was, it was hard watching her go through a hard time when I was literally incapacitated. I couldn't have helped her if I wanted to, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's a lot. So they came, um, I knew they would probably come early cause they were, you know, twins mm -hmm. and they came at 33 weeks. So, um, you know, almost two months early, mm -hmm. my water broke first thing in the morning. My husband was out walking the dog. He always answers his phone. Of course he didn't answer his phone. I called like 20 <sighs> times. So I called the doctor and I'm like on the phone panicking. I called my sister. I hadn't even packed my hospital bag. Cause I had oh. still been teaching up through Christmas break. I thought I'd have like a month to finish reading my books because teaching and being sick and pregnant, like I, I couldn't do anything extra. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I remember my water broke and I was like, I didn't even pack my bag. So I called my sister and I was like, what do I put in my bag? 
and like pacing back and forth she's like go get chapstick go get mm. you know socks go get and I was like okay okay like I didn't know what to do and when he finally got home I was so angry but so scared I was like why didn't you pick up your phone we're going oh to the hospital I, oh. oh and then it's the hurry up and wait my water broke for one twin but not the other so they were trying and I got the uh. resident at the hospital who didn't know what he was doing and he was like I'm gonna do uh actually no I'm not and like it was just oh. when my doctor got there I was so relieved <laughs> but it ended up being um an emergency c-section one of them decided to stick his foot out and do the splits and get <gasps> it was a it was oh. yeah so I so not an easy birth experience yep not an easy birth experience I mean I threw up from the medication while I'm on the table but I can't move my arms like it was terrible terrible oh. and then there's literally like NICU teams for both babies in the OR. We got rushed in. David wasn't even in there at first because they don't let him come in until you get the spinal. Uh, and I could, like, you, my doctor, someone was like, your doctor's not going to be here. And I was like, I don't want the resident doing a C-section on me. Like, I just, I'm not a confrontational person, but I was like, she has to get here. Like, I don't want this other person mm -hmm. <laughs> cutting me open. And she was like five or six months pregnant at the time. She <sighs> came running in at the last second and I have never been so relieved. Oh my gosh. Um, but I just remember like more and more people coming in the room and I was like, something's wrong. And I saw them pull out one of the babies and like, I'm laying there with my arms out. Like I turned my head to the side. I've already like puked and super embarrassed. Like I told them I was going to throw up and they didn't believe me. They thought I was just like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, really going to okay. throw up. Yeah. And then they pulled out the other one and I saw so like, I couldn't understand what was happening. Like everything was so the bright lights, the like super. And all I kept saying, like my doctor was so good. She's like, if there's lots of people in here, that's a good thing. Everything's going to be okay. And they brought the babies to me and I remember someone else was holding them and I, I like kissed one and turned and before I could even kiss the other one, they were gone with them. Oh. And I like, so I was like, something's wrong. I didn't even get to like, and then I remember saying to David, go with the babies. Like, I didn't know what was happening to me, but something yeah, was wrong yeah, with yeah. them. I couldn't go with them. So it was a very traumatic, um, birth story. And then they were working on me. Turns out I hemorrhaged. They had to like put a balloon in me. Like it was a uh, whole, I didn't know all of this at the time. I was very, everything's a blur, but, um, I didn't get to touch Jackson, my first baby till he was three days old, um, um or like hold him. And then Chase, I couldn't, they didn't even want me to talk to him because he had a hole in his lung. And they told me, um, that they weren't sure he was going to make it. And oh. it was like, so I'm in a hospital room and I had labored. I had labored for hours and hours and then had an emergency C-section and hemorrhage. So I like, I couldn't sit up. I couldn't do anything. Um, so not being able to go to the NICU, not being able to talk to them, knowing like, and they didn't have names yet. Like I couldn't, mm. it was. You're like, who are these? Like I have literally, like people always say like, you know, I felt people's prayers carrying me like that. I had never not that I didn't believe it, but I had never felt that before, but I literally like so many people were praying for us. And I, that was the only thing, like I mm. was so anxious and so scared and traumatized. And, and I felt like, like, that's what prayer, like people call, I remember our pastor came in and literally he, he's a really big guy. He came in to my room and I'm in like a robe, you know, I've just <laughs> have this bag in me. Like, I don't know what's happening. I'm just scared. And he, he kneeled down on that floor and like just prayed on behalf of my babies. And I still get about that, like just like that care and how much that meant to me and my family. And 
anyways, so 12 days later, Jackson came home. 21 days later, Chase came home. Oh, wow. Um, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, I'm my sure. mom wasn't here yet. Um, <sighs> I could barely, I couldn't even sit up on my own till I was 10 days out from, from surgery. It was during a snowstorm. We lived on the second floor of an apartment building. It was like, <sighs> it was, it was hard. <laughs> um, and the I baby, cannot even imagine. I mean, they were tiny. They were like four pounds, four pounds, three ounces, four pounds, six ounces. So, but next to like the little micro preemies that are like one pound, they looked like the giants of the NICU. Yeah. But compared to any other baby, like they were the size of my niece's baby dolls, you know, like, yeah. and, and so it was a pretty traumatic start to <sighs> motherhood. Like, and when I tell you people from our church fed us for like three months, like people oh, would bring meals wow. and I literally don't know what we would have done without that because they were underweight. So I had them on, um, formula, but I was also trying to breastfeed and also had to pump and I didn't respond to a pump. So I'd be like 45 minutes on a pump for half amount, half the amount that they needed for a feeding, but I was oh desperate. My gosh. You know, you get into the yes. part in your head where you believe these lies. Like this is the one thing I'm supposed to do for my yes. babies and I can't yes. do it. So I'm a failure before I 100%. even start. And it's easy to say it now, but in it, like I got into a really dark place really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really, it was a really like the hardest year of my life. And, I cannot even imagine. I mean, like yeah. I've only ever had one baby at a time and like not in the NICU, nothing like that. And I know for me, the first year after having each of my babies was really hard. Like yeah. breastfeeding was really hard. Like I had supply issues with both of my kids. I beat myself up about it. Like I, yeah. you know, was like doing the thing where you're on your pump for like 20,000 hours and taking yep. all the supplements. Just and call then, me Bessie. <laughs> it, right. Like you're, and it's like, you feel like you, you have completely lost yourself. Now I cannot even imagine now making that there's two babies Mm. they were early they were in the NICU like hemorrhaging crazy surgery like all of that I really that must have been a crazy first year and it was winter like it's everyone always gets Mm. more sad in the winter and my mom wasn't there she was able to come back for several weeks when they were uh, a couple months old, but I'd already been home from the hospital, you know, like that initial, and my, listen, my sister's, my sister had, was pregnant and had one. My other sister was in a PhD program, lived out of state. So like they were there for me and people from the church, like they signed up and would come over. David was working overnights, 12 hour shifts. And so you had to I, do the nights by yourself with the two babies. It was terrifying and overwhelming. I would and I had people not be able to handle that. I mean, I had people who would literally sign up <laughs> for a day that they would come over after David went to work and do like one or two of the nighttime feedings or like literally fold my laundry. I had someone from church come and like pick up my clothes and do my laundry and deliver it back. And like, that when I so tell nice. you, I have people come and walk the dog because I, I, I can't leave my house, but I, I, I can't just bring them down. And we lived on the second floor. So I would have to bring oh, two babies two, down. No. In the or winter, like a dog down, and then like it was just it was a lot, and we had to park back behind the building. Like there were just little things that people did that I never knew. I was like, I've been a horrible friend to my friends who have kids. Oh like I've gosh. never brought them food. I've never folded their laundry. I've never and like so. I that is the truest thing ever. Like before I had kids, I it's like I didn't get it at all. Like if, yeah. if somebody I knew had a kid, it was like, oh, congratulations. Like yeah. here's a little baby outfit. Like, and that's it. But it's like, then once you have a kid, you're like, holy moly. Like yeah. I. It's super isolating. Yes. And like, you feel like you're supposed to be the happiest time of your life and you are, but you're also not. 
So mm-hmm. it's like, how, how honest can you be? And I was, I didn't realize I had postpartum depression, but I had it mm-hmm. bad. Like I was in like, and our marriage was horrible that year. Like we fought horribly and like neither of us were sleeping he was on a rotating weird schedule I had infant twins you know postpartum depression like there was a lot and I didn't know I had it so I didn't even know to ask for help I just lashed out at the only person I saw you know totally um and did your you whole feel like you had to yes did you feel like you had to like put on a good face when people from the church would come over to help you with something yes and including my family too yeah yeah even because i think it was just one of those like again it's these lies that like get in your head that you believe you're you're supposed to be happy and it's not that you're not but it's just Mm -hmm. hard and then you feel like well at least i felt like i'm supposed to be able to do this and i can't so i don't want someone else to feel bad for me because i'm bad at something like they've Mm -hmm. already helped me so much by giving me all this stuff that they don't do for other new moms like three months of meals this is crazy Mm -hmm. so how can i then say like it made me feel more like a failure even though I totally wasn't like if I was talking to somebody who was me, but you know, in the same situation, 100% acted so differently, but it's like, you know, and you've talked about that too, with some, some of your own stuff with with food and with like you, you just get in your head and you Mm -hmm. treat yourself so much worse. Like I would never say what I say to myself to To somebody else, whether they're a stranger or a friend, like I, I wouldn't talk to people that way. Ever. So why do I think it's okay to talk to myself that way? And I still don't really have the handle on that, but, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't, yeah, the twins didn't sleep through the night until after they were a year old and they oh. would wake up staggered. Like I literally, I remember like begging God to give me three hours. Like I just uh. need three hours. So they would wake up at different times. And then it was like run and get the one before they woke up the other. And, it was, yeah, it was like the worst year of my life. I have the cutest pictures ever from that year of my I'm life, sure. but, yes. you know, of the babies. But um, yeah, when they turned two and things got really bad between David and I, um, I went to counseling and went to therapy and like the very first session, she's like, you're depressed. You need medication. You need to talk to somebody. Mm. And literally within two weeks, I was a different person. I had mm. never taken, like, I remember getting to church late like when David would work weekends with the kids and being mm-hmm. like I felt like I'd run a marathon and like people being you know I, I was late someone yeah. said something as a joke one time like totally joking did not mean it at all but I took it so personally like mm-hmm. you know you're late whatever and I was like I didn't even want to come like getting out the door you have no idea and David mm-hmm. it was so bad he was coming home from work to like make lunch for the kids and then mm-hmm. going back to work because I I was so depressed I like I'd look at laundry next to me and the kids would be napping and I physically couldn't make myself fold it mm. and so when I got on medication I remember like a week later taking my boys out for bagels like the three of us and being like oh look look at me wow I did that like and I used yeah. to feel like such a failure because I'd see other moms like taking their kids out to lunch with each other and do mm-hmm. I'm like ha- baking cookies I'm like I literally can't even like I barely get dressed in the morning and keep Mm -hmm. my kids alive. And so it was, yeah, that, that medication like changed my life. Um, Yeah. I feel, I mean, I feel the same way. Yes. Like I feel like I for sure, like for my whole life dealt with a lot of anxiety for sure. But like definitely after having my kids, it was like worse for sure. And about, I don't know, a year and a half ago, I finally went on some anxiety medication because, you know, I'd been meeting with a counselor for a while and um, just talking through things and whatever. And, you know, she had kind of like I had we had broached the subject like, what do we like? Do you think I need to be medicated, basically? And she had kind of left it like, listen, 
it's like a quality of life thing. Like, do I think that you need it like to function? No, you're functioning, but like, might it help your quality of life? Yeah, it's something to think about, you know? And so, you know, I wasn't sure. I kind of went back and forth about it, you know, because it's like, sometimes you feel like, oh, I should just be able to like will myself out of this or pray myself out of this or whatever. And when, after I went on the medication, after just like literally a few weeks, it was like a weight was lifted off my back. You know what I mean? Like I felt like, oh, this is how normal people are able to do normal things. You know what I mean? Like I was just like, okay, like I didn't even realize how much my anxiety had held me back from stuff. You know what I mean? Or just limited me in so many ways. And just like the medication just helped so much. And that's like not to say that it's for everybody and it's not to say that I'll even necessarily be on it forever, but Mm -hmm. it helped me so much and I'm so thankful for it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people with the same story. Like mm-hmm. I my my therapist said to me, it's like if you broke your arm, you'd get a cast. If you needed antibiotics, would you take them? Mm-hmm. Yes, your body has a deficit in this hormone and so take the medicine. Like that's mm-hmm. all you're doing. You're sick and you need something to treat it. And I know I'm like totally oversimplifying, but that was what like helped me like make that decision. She's like, "And if you don't if you change your mind, you can stop it. Like that's all there is to it. And I was like, oh yeah, somehow for some reason, I think growing up in the church also like the stigma, there's a stigma anyways around mental Mm -hmm. illness. But then I think just the idea of faith and prayer and depression, I'm like, but when you look at the Bible, there's depressed people all over the Bible. There's anxious people all over the Bible. Like do Mm -hmm. not fear is like the most used phrase in the Bible for a reason. Like God knows that we are like, you know, so it was just, I think there's been a lot. I've definitely, I was less ashamed of it after I was on the medication because I could think about it more clearly. Yes. That totally makes sense. I I think so. I think that's so much like before you're on it. Yeah. Like you do kind of feel like, Oh, like such a stigma. I don't know, blah, blah. And then you're right. Once you are on it and you feel like the edge has been taken off of your intense emotions, whether that be depression or anxiety or whatever it is that you're dealing with, yeah, like you for yeah. sure can see more clearly. And there are times I'll remember like things that set me off and I acted like so, I don't want to say insane because obviously not like legitimately insane, but you know, but what I know I mean. what you like mean. it yeah. just like completely stressed me out to like no end. And it's like now I can be like, wow, like. Hmm. I feel bad for her that like, I wish I went on it sooner. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. Cause it's just like crazy to think about, you know, and you can think clearer, you know, when the, the edge has been taken off. And I think that for me, a huge fear of mine was like, is it going to give me like a flat affect? Like, is it going to make me uh, kind of like numb, like numb and like totally flat and whatever. And like, that might happen to some people, but like, for me, that was not my experience at all. Like I literally, I felt like myself just without the like insane dips and Mm -hmm. high, like of like intense anxiety and blah, blah, blah. Like I just felt like more level. Yeah. Like you're still going to have normal anxiety because life still happens. Like you have kids, part of your your, your course of every day is being anxious about something. But Uh yeah, after my second, I I had, I went off my antidepressants when I got pregnant with Mm -hmm. my my second, with my third child. Right. (laughs) And, um, 
and I did fine throughout the pregnancy. And then like after he was born, I had the opposite of depression. I had like panic attacks. Like mm. if David left the house for 10 minutes, I literally would like, and it was all like, part of it was like post-traumatic stress for me. Um, because he had breathing, he had reflux. So it sounded like breathing issues. And it like, um, one of my twins had an anaphylactic experience yeah, I hear about that. You know, before I got pregnant and we almost lost him. Like he stopped breathing in my arms, all of that. And so I have a very, like, I was panicky about anything related to breathing. So I think mm -hmm. the hormone dump of new baby, and then that like, you know, traumatic experience with Jackson and then having this new baby. And like, so I felt like within a couple of weeks, I was like, this is not normal me. And I went mm -hmm. back on medication and it wasn't quite normal. And I had to go on a higher dose. I had to go a little bit higher a couple of times than I was the first time around. But I, after knowing what I could feel like, yeah, I was grateful because if I hadn't had that experience, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if yeah. I would have gotten medication as soon again or not. Um, and, you know, I know you are too. I'm a huge advocate of therapy, like just being able to oh, talk yeah. to somebody. <laughs> I'm a verbal processor too. So yes. being able to talk to someone who listens, who, you know, is an engaged listener because you're I, literally paying them to yeah. sit there, give you their full attention, yep. be objective. They don't know any of the people that you're talking about. They don't know anything so about you don't like have your to past. Spare anybody's exactly. Yeah. Like you can say, like, whatever you want because they don't know these people you know what yep. i mean like and it's like you can lay it all out there you know and it i think that there are people sometimes who feel like that sounds dumb right like yeah. i have friends i have family that i can talk to and whatever and that's all well and good but i really do think that like literally anybody can benefit from therapy because mm -hmm. you are literally being forced because for me i'm i'm always go 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 do 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 busy 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 you're being forced to stop and process. for an hour and process and someone will ask you questions that maybe you didn't think of before and there are many times where i get to an end of a therapy session and i'm like even like last week, it sounds so stupid, but I was talking about something with my counselor and she was like, well, Caitlin, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, and that sounds like, I don't so ridiculous, but I was like, oh, I don't really know. Like, and she was like, right. Like you've just been talking about what you think everybody else wants you to do or wants mm -hmm. to do. What do you actually want to do? And I was like, I, hmm, you know, and it like forces you to sit there and yeah. really think about that. And it, again, it sounds stupid, but it's really not stupid. Yeah. Well, you can think of it as like people have coaches, they have teachers, they have mentors, mm -hmm. like, and that's what it is. But it's, it's, and I think, I don't know if it was Dax Shepard and, um, I love his podcast. I, I haven't listened to it yet. Confession, but, um, I think it was him and Kristen Bell. I heard something or read something where they were like, I don't know why everybody doesn't do therapy. Like you know, you change the oil on your car, you mow your lawn, like anything that's left disintegrates. Things don't just stay the same. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're not going to stay the same. You're going to get worse if you don't have something causing you to grow. And so like they, they said something like it's preemptive, like mm. everybody has rough patches either personally or in the relationship or whatever it is like this, no one gets out of the world unscathed right like totally. so why wouldn't you like you can only benefit from it yes um, so Absolutely. it's like that's something that I definitely yeah therapy has definitely 
definitely changed my life for the better too. Like, mm -hmm. like yeah, that's awesome. Tell, yes. Oh, tell us about your, your walk with Jackson and his allergies and that whole thing. Okay. Um, well, so he's one of the twins when he turned one, something in me, like we went for the one-year-old appointment. I was like, well, what if like they're allergic to food or peanuts or something? And, and my, my doctor at the time just was like, oh, rub some peanut butter on their, you know, their skin. If there's any hives and don't feed it to them, we'll test them, whatever. I don't know what possessed me to ask that because I like, I don't know. Like I had no reason to think that nobody in my family has any allergies, but literally we put peanut butter on his skin and it, it like flared up. Now he had eczema his whole like first year of life. So I was like, maybe it's just on like a patch of skin that I put some on his cheek, like hives immediately. Uh. So we ended up at an allergist. They told us he had an anaphylactic um, allergy to peanuts. They gave us an EpiPen, the whole thing. So we read labels. I've learned a lot about food allergies. And then um, a couple of years later, we were visiting my, um, my husband's college roommate and some college friends out of state in Virginia. And, um, you know, they, they knew about the allergy. I checked the labels on everything. Um, it, it just was one of those fluke things. We, we still honestly don't know what caused it, but David was out like fishing or hiking or something with the guys and Jackson during the day was playing and they live like out on a big property out the kids were outdoors and he came in and his eyes were like super itchy and one of them was like kind of swollen a little bit and um I I wrote it off as like you know just environmental allergies my kids mm -hmm. have those too so David got back thankfully and I had run out of kids Benadryl and the people we were visiting didn't have any I was like let's just you know we can get the kids in the car. We'll just drive like they'll, you know, when kids all get together and everyone gets crazy and like, they'll yes, benefit like tough. a little quiet and he's super like super itchy and we'll just find some, well, we were like in and out of cell service. And within like two minutes of getting in the car, his eyes started swelling up. Like it was creepy. Like I started panicking and I was like, David, something's not right. And I was pregnant and we <sighs> were in like a RAV4 with two two so it's not a big car I had two car seats in the back I was in the front seat and with a pregnant belly I couldn't fit between their car seats on a mm -hmm. good day especially not pregnant and I every time I turned around he was getting like super like I gave him his candle to try and keep him calm it was getting so big like it got to the point where I hopped out of my seat and was like David must have gotten in almost two accidents I'm like we got to find an urgent care there's something wrong I don't know what it is this is not normal and like literally when I say we almost got into two accidents, he's trying, our cell service kept going in and out. We were managed to call somebody like call an urgent care. And they're like, yeah, you can come. It was like, we think it's some kind of allergy. They're like, you could just go to the hospital. Like the ER is close by too. We're, I don't remember what they said. We lost signal again. So we were like oh. on the way there. And I was like, David, it looks like his eye is going to pop. Like it literally looked I don't know how to explain it. There was like this yellow thing that grew across his eye. It looked oh. like a, like a reptile eyelid, I, like yeah. closing from the other way. I still like, it's really creepy to think about. And then he started getting hives all over his chest. Oh. I took his shirt off. I unbuckled him. I, I was wedged, barely wedged between these car seats, like rushing down these roads. And then I was like his eye, like he couldn't barely see out of it. I literally thought his eyeball was going to like pop. And I just remember I was like, something is deathly wrong. And I remember literally Chase in the background was going, what's wrong with Jackson? What's oh. wrong? Like, and I didn't even acknowledge him. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't even. And then Jackson started saying, mama, mama, but he couldn't. Oh my gosh. Out. And I was like, pull over, 
So, so Jack, I like pulled out the EpiPen, which I thank God every day we had. He literally, I pulled him out of his car seat and he went limp in my arms. Oh. Like he, he couldn't get the word mom out. He went limp, like totally lost consciousness. David mm. jumped out of the car, like came around to the backseat. I handed him because the way I was wedged in, I couldn't really get to him. He gave him the EpiPen in his leg. And it was like, I literally had my hands on him and was praying like, I don't know where I remember this from, but you know, the different names of God, like Jehovah Rapha, like the Mm -hmm. healer. And I just remember being like, please save my son. And I, I just remember being like, God, save him, save his life. And I, I had been praying that before he even passed out, like in my heart, like I knew this was life and death, even before it got to that point. And and he did and I just like it was within seconds he he kind of took one of those like dramatic like <gasps> breaths and oh then just started God. screaming and then of course I'm trying to calm him because I'm like don't scream like you need your breath yeah yeah <laughs> if I was going to need to use the second one like they come in a pack of two for a reason so we found this this hospital like we weren't far from it um it was like the movies like I had him in my arms I was pregnant. I had flip-flops. Like I literally thought we were going to CVS and back, you know, oh. I'm carrying him in going, he's not breathing. Like I was screaming. They like ushered me in. They were so great. It was this tiny little ER and they were, they were wonderful, but they brought me into this room and literally they put me on. I was like hyperventilating. Like I thought I was going to throw up cause I was so oh. pumped full of adrenaline and they put me on this bed in the, this ER room with him on my lap. And he was still like, he was breathing, but he was very not okay. And right in front of me on the wall was this huge whiteboard that said like time of death and different (sighs) stuff. Like it was a major triage room. And I just remember being like, and I just like, I have never felt God's favor so much as when like, I, I know people say, you know, the EpiPen saved his life and it did, but I like, it is not even a question in my mind that God chose to save his life that day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of stories of EpiPens that don't work or yeah, things being yeah. late or um, I think it was, it was like one of the hardest things ever to, they, we were there for hours. Um, you know, there were times they came and shut the door when they had to bring in other people so that he wouldn't see, you know, and they monitored him and they gave him steroids and they did all, all kinds of stuff. But um being you know no family not in the hometown our our friends you know we had our friends were not far but it's not like they could have done anything at that point so we were there for hours um and chase was like a champ like he he hung out there too and when we went back i was like it was the scariest thing to go back to the house where this started not knowing I, i mean it was again there was nothing intentional like everybody was very aware and like mm-hmm. nobody did anything intentionally but like not knowing what had caused it I couldn't sleep that night like I literally put him in the bed with me and I watched him like the entire night and then the next day and we had used our EpiPen we had to go to like three pharmacies the hospital didn't have any there was like a shortage at that time and I was like I'm not going anywhere without another EpiPen like I literally just watched to save his life so we we went to like three different pharmacies we finally found one paid out of pocket for it but the pharmacist was like an angel. She was on the phone for like 20 minutes with the insurance company, worked it all out, got it figured out. But anyways, the drive back to New Jersey the next day was like, I literally, and I mean, for years after that, every time I was in the driver's seat, looking in my rear view mirror at him in his car seat, it was like these, you know, it's reliving mm-hmm. the trauma, like that post-traumatic stress. 
because it could have ended so much differently. Um, and so it was the hardest thing, like feeding my kids snacks. Like I used to be driving them home from preschool and be like, I would have to pull over and pull him out of his seat and like feel his chest. I would walk in and check his breathing like multiple times a night. Like it was, it was really, really traumatic. Um, and I became like a voracious reader. I read everything and anything about food allergies and, and how common they are. And, um, we discovered he had more allergies. And so it's been a walk, you know, the wow. grief process of he can't be like a normal kid. He can't eat the birthday cake. Like he would cry at parties. Like, I just Aww. want that cake, even though we have treats and he's always been really good, but it's just hard, you know, of like, course. so that's been that something is... to walk through. Um, that is insane. So does he know, like, does he remember that night? Is he, does he know what happened? No, that was one of the things I just prayed for. I was like, God, please just help him not to remember, <laughs> like help him yeah. not to remember this. So he has like this vague memory of going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. He doesn't remember the EpiPen. He knows that we used it on him. I've never really recounted it in mm -hmm. like graphic detail for him because I don't want him to live. It's this weird tension again, of wanting yeah. him to be, take it very seriously and not like take a risk to like be like everyone else and eat the wrong thing but I also don't want him to live in fear you know mm -hmm. so um that has been honestly a, a battle for me more than him like he was young enough that I think it's just the way his life is you know mm -hmm. and family's all on board everybody friends everybody's so supportive and helpful um but yeah it was definitely a, a fear battle for me like that, that mental I mean, that's insane. So it's like, and you're someone that you've struggled in the past before this even happened, you know, like you struggled with the postpartum depression and like it was a hard start with the twins and the NICU and the whole nine yards. And then you go through this. How old was he when this happened? He was three. So oh my gosh. three and a three and a half. Yeah. I remember when Caroline told me like yeah. what had happened because she was babysitting for you like around yeah. that time mm -hmm. and I guess you know when you guys got back you told her the story obviously and she told me and I was horrified because it's yeah. just like you know you hear about kids with allergies and things like that and it's just like oh okay yeah but it's like you what you go yeah. through as the parent is yeah. so different like you know at school we're like okay yeah like we don't eat in the classroom okay like and that's that's really the extent of how much it impacts my life. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, I won't have snacks in the classroom. Okay. But like for you as the parent, like this is a whole different ball game here. Like yeah. it impacts it's, everything. It's hard because, you know, like I know before my kid had an allergy, I didn't like the same thing as you. I knew, but I didn't know. Right. And like, I look back to myself, like, you know, I wonder like you don't know unless you don't know. So I never expect somebody to know or to like, cater to my child like I will provide what we need for him but that being said it blows my mind when people are like you can't take my peanuts off the plane like I'm gonna th this kid can eat peanuts like they can just you know shove it whatever and I'm like you're literally talking about people's lives like these aren't yeah. people just like it's not just a fad diet like they don't mm -hmm. want to eat peanuts like right. you should kill a child <laughs> you know a two-year-old who doesn't know better could pick up right. something or and again it's like this this collective responsibility that I don't ever expect anyone to understand or know or or know a whole lot about allergies, but it does blow my mind when people are purposefully flippant with things that are life and death. And it's given me a lot of empathy too for just other things like that people suffer or mm -hmm. carry that I don't know about that 
impact just everything. And it's, you know, it's food allergies for some, it's, it's, there's so many different ways that can play out. Um, But it's definitely, you know, of all the places in the world, of all the times in history, like I'm grateful that Mm -hmm. now is when he has it, when things are so much more, Mm. you know, people are more educated, schools are supportive, you know, like there's all of that. That so. really is, I mean, that's a really good way to look at it. Cause you know, I'm sure that it's easy to fall into. Cause I would, if, you know, if I were you, I feel like I would fall into like, this is so unfair. Like, oh, I mean, why, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, why totally. does this ha- have to be my kid? But you're right. Like, thank God that you had the EpiPen, that we live in a time where like that exists and that you had yeah. already identified his allergy and you had it. And I mean, Thank God that the hospital was so close, like where you had been driving. I look back and I'm like, I just see God's provision. Mm -hmm. And it's like that hard tension of like crappy things happen in life and you don't understand them and you don't Mm -hmm. like them and they don't seem fair. But at the same time, like, could it be worse? Could it be a grace that it's this and not that? Or could it be, you know, like there's so many things I think to myself, like, you know, my, my child doesn't have cancer, Mm -hmm. you know, my child. So perspective is helpful, but it's Mm -hmm. not, but you also can't deny the pain or the grief or the sadness or the frustration that comes with it too. Like that's not Mm -hmm. healthy either. So it's a, it's a, it is a, a, like walking on the edge of an envelope. Like (laughs) it's hard to do without falling off one side or the other. And just thinking like, speaking of envelopes, this is totally random, but little public service announcement, food allergies. Um, So any allergy can be anaphylactic. So just because somebody has in the past only had hives from their food allergy does not mean that the next time they're exposed, it could not be anaphylactic. And just because my son's had anaphylactic reaction doesn't mean that next time he's exposed, it will be anaphylactic. So that makes it even harder in a way. But it's like thinking if somebody put anthrax on an envelope, right, mm-hmm. and sent it, but you get all this mail, like, wouldn't you be careful with every letter knowing that there one day might be one with anthrax on it? It's like living with that, like, it's easy to become a little bit callous and like, forget to read a label or forget to whatever, because you get mail every day. But just knowing that one day somewhere, there's going to be that envelope that has anthrax, like, that's kind of what it, it is. Like, I think for the caregivers and the person with the food allergy. It's like this constant of like, if you let your guard down for a second, it could be the one time, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also living with, but it's the one in a, a million, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a hard, that's really hard. Like, a little bit, you know, like if you just get a little bit, it's not that bad or like, it can't be that bad. I'm like, well, you know, <sighs> talk about, yeah, it's, if- yeah. And you're like, trust me, like you haven't like experienced what I've experienced. And so to this day, you don't know what he ate that day. No. And our, like, it could have been something like, like literally could have been, he rubbed something with his hands and then rubbed his eyes. Cause if it goes in your eyes, nose or mouth, that's how you can technically ingest it. So it could have literally been like a microscopic amount. And that's what's like, okay, so we're going to a playground. Kids eat peanut butter crackers right. play on the equipment and then you play on the equipment. Like, and you have to consider these things. It's like, yeah. an, it's insanity. like toddlers put their hands in their mouth. So if it could have been, and it's not that way for everyone and it's not that way every time, but it is a possibility that like it, it is, I definitely have had, I'll say pity parties, but sometimes it's not a pity party. It's just a heavy thing to carry. It's legitimate. And it, I, don't legitimate. Ever, I don't ever want him to feel like a burden, you know, like talking about Absolutely. like everybody has to like 
wash their hands and and did anybody have peanuts and did like it's it inconveniences everyone but I never want him to feel like it's his fault because I know if that was me like I would feel like it was my fault you know yeah oh you're a good mom for you know thinking through that on his behalf and you know protecting him now didn't you guys recently find out that Chase Mm -hmm. has an allergy to something so he actually has celiac disease. Ugh. He got diagnosed this year. He was having major stomach aches and losing weight and uh, like a bunch of other symptoms. But um, and it took a, a while to get diagnosed. We saw a ton of doctors, but yeah. So he has celiac disease, which is it's a gluten. It's not technically a food allergy, but if you explain it like a gluten allergy, that's kind of what it is. Instead mm-hmm. of him getting like uh, you know stopping breathing or getting hives, it's gluten causes his body to attack itself and basically those little finger-like things inside your small intestines the villi that absorb all the nutrients the um gluten is like a lawnmower to those so it just flattens them down so that he can't absorb nutrients which is why he was losing weight why he was you know he was getting taller Uh. but he was losing pounds getting stomach aches like you know diarrhea a lot of gi stuff but it can also Uh. affect you know everything it can cause ADHD it can cause anxiety it can cause you know joint pain and brain fog and like so we we caught it and thankfully like he's been on a gluten-free diet now for two months and it's been like honestly it's been really it's been harder than the peanut thing really Um, well yeah because gluten is like in everything yeah and Jackson Jackson also is allergic to cashews and pistachios so we have to read for tree nuts too but it's at least it's the same vein of like yep nuts Yeah. yeah um whereas so with Chase, yeah, gluten is in everything. And because celiac disease is the same way, like this tiny, tiny little residue can damage. It'll take three months for his gut to recover from that. Ugh. So it's not a matter of him. Like he might eat it and not feel sick, but it's damaging. It can lead to things like diabetes and thyroid disease and cancer. And I'm like, okay, so so I don't have to worry about him not breathing if he eats it, but I have to worry about like for three months him, you right. know, so it's, and I'm on a huge learning curve with that still. It's it is a lot. Um, peanuts, you read the label for peanuts. Gluten, it's like you have to read for barley and rye and malt and like there's all these gazillion different technical terms that could be something that contains gluten. So I feel like I'm in school. <laughs> oh my a gosh, lot. that's a lot. And then don't you have stuff going on? Yeah. So it's been a long time coming, like ten years of all kinds of things from migraines and and nausea and bloating like lot I have have like this list of random things that by themselves didn't ever seem like a big deal and I've been to lots of doctors for different reasons um and never thought that they might all be linked to the same cause like the same root cause um and I kind of just accepted that this was you know I'm just quirky and broken (laughs) so um I, when Chase got diagnosed, we all, they said that first degree relatives of people with celiac disease are supposed to get tested. Um, So I had the gene for it. And I was like, the more I learned about celiac disease, the more I was like, oh, my symptoms, (laughs) this could be what it is. Found an old endoscopy I'd had and it looks, my, my villi were totally flattened, whatever. So, but I actually just went to the doctor today and I've had new lab results that indicate I'm not celiac. So I'm still an anomaly. They Uh. don't with me I get another endoscopy next week so um yeah so I I was hopeful it wasn't celiac because I really like my gluten but oh yeah I also am now like huh but at least then I would have known true totally it's hard to not know what's making you feel cruddy 
Oh, well, I am sorry about that. I mean, that's like a lot. You have like a lot of dietary things going on there. But yeah. I mean, the story about Jackson, I mean, and like I said, I'd heard it before mm. through Caroline, but not in obviously that much detail. But that is just miraculous. And uh, thank God. I mean, yeah. like, thank God that he is here and that you guys had the EpiPen and that you thought to jump back there that you trusted your gut that something was off right and that you guys yeah. were in the car like all of those things you know like praise god but i am so sorry yeah thank you, you. Went through that you know and we'll continue to pray you know for him because i know that it's like a lifelong thing for you guys yeah so all right tell me about are you a tv watcher yes are you uh, watching any good shows right now I'm I'm not like in a specific show right now. I'm more in a um I think because we've had so much heavy stuff health-wise like yes. in the family and just my brain is completely full of tons of new information. Um mindless TV is kind of where I'm at right now. So, and we don't actually have cable. We have like we have a Roku TV and we have mm -hmm. like Netflix and and Prime. So, um, I've been watching Kim's Convenience. I don't know if you've heard oh, of that. What's that. It's like a short, like it's like, you know, 20, 30 minute show that I like is that. this um, Korean family in Canada and they own a convenience store. And, you know, it's basically them, them, the parents being politically incorrect and the kids <laughs> being like, you can't be like that. But they're like, it's a clash of cultures and it's just, it's funny and it's mindless. So I love the that. kind of show you don't have to keep watching it if, you know, like it's not a storyline, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fun. It's good. Just like mindless, easy, not a big commitment. Yeah. I like but that. I've watched uh, two shows I've watched recently that I really liked was um, Virgin River. Did you oh, ever? Oh, no. So did you ever watch Heart of Dixie? I like a little bit. I was okay. not a diehard, but yes, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of along that type of. All right. And then Sweet Magnolias, which is like these friends in the South. And one of them just went through a divorce. One of them. I don't It's It's enough uh, happy and real. That yeah. I watch it without feeling because I feel like so many shows that I used to like to watch were like crime shows or that now I'm like too heavy parent. Yes. Or, yeah. Or they're just something that's a little, I never was into scary cause I just can't handle it and I don't like it. So why would I, but, but like anything intense, like mm -hmm. I just, I'm so emotionally spent. At the end 100 of the Even sometimes like Grey's Anatomy was becoming too much for me, even though like, I know that Grey's Anatomy is like drama, like whatever, but there would be like times where it was episodes about like a kid come and I was just like, you know what? Like I literally yeah. can't, like I, I actually can't in my free time. That yeah. is why I always say I like stupid reality, like Real Housewives, whatever, stupid mm -hmm. stuff like that, because you're just like, whatever, like, this isn't going to be don't intense. Have to, exactly. Like, you don't have to feel bad or scared about something. It's exactly. Just, it's like, and I think as moms, like, yes, you can get sucked into totally binge watching things that into a, an unhealthy level of where you're mm -hmm. checked out. But I really find like, by the end of the day, I can't like, I can't sit down and read and I no. can't like, and, and my brain is going, I'm like, I need something that will take my mind off, like to make it stop. Like it's a 100%. good thing to each for a little bit. Like it's healthy. 
I I 100% agree. I just feel like all day you're on, 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 and there is nothing wrong with at night when God bless the children go to bed and you can just be (laughs) like, I am just going to sit here with my snack. I know. My tea and just enjoy a couple episodes of something. It's just a lovely thing. It is definitely a lovely thing. All right. Well, we will link to those Kim's Convenience, Virgin River, and Sweet Magnolias. We're going to link to those in the show notes. Okay. And then I have one last question. Considering yeah. everything you have going on in your house, have you found any like good go-to snacks that like so, fit everybody's dietary needs? Yes. I have found um, some some brands that tend – there's a brand called Made Good. Oh. And they make like little things like little granola bars and granola bites and like they're – they're kid snacks, but they're tasty and they're, they're not free and they're gluten-free and surprisingly Ugh. tasty. <laughs> All right. Um, well, there you go. So, and then we just, we do a lot of like the one thing that was like the hardest to give up was goldfish. That was our favorite snack. I was just, I was literally just going to say, wait, can you guys do goldfish? Oh, we can't. So, oh. and gluten-free pretzels are fine, but one kid doesn't like the pretzels. One. Ugh. So we've got, we found like popcorners, those um, chips. I love those. Everyone in our family loves those. Those are safe for everybody. We do a lot of popcorn type stuff. That's good. Um, All right. So that's good. So, Hey, if you're listening to this and you have allergies going on in your house, we'll link to made good popcorners. These are good things. Yes, they are. Lindsay, this was so fun chatting with you. It was nice to, uh, to meet you. (laughs) Absolutely. We, and we have to have to absolutely get the kids together this summer. For sure. We'll hang out, have some coffee, let the kids play, maybe marry them off to each other. You I know. know. That could be confusing with their names, though. Chase, Seriously. Chase, Chase, Emerson, Everett. Like yeah. <laughs> it is so funny because my sister Caroline will always say, she's like, sometimes, like, I'll literally be here with your kids. And I'm like, Chase. I mean, Jace. Like, she's <laughs> like, it's like everyone has the same name. And then she said, you know, I have Emerson. You yes. have Everett, but she's like, yeah. we call my Emerson Ev- Emmers all the time. And we and we'll be like, Emmers. That's what she said. She's like, Emmers ever. She's like, it's like I'm constantly tongue tied with all the kids. So, and it's random. If I was a boy, I was going to be named Chase Emerson. So I have no a Chase way. Emerson. That's just like some random. That's so random. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, we will absolutely make it happen. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and for telling us your story. So welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe right now before you go. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for our next episode. You can catch So What Else anywhere you get your podcasts or at CaitlinElliott.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Artwork by Caroline Chicola and editing and everything else by Scott Elliott. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.